What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. Back on the Hockey IQ podcast today, we have Thomas Pacina back for round number two. Thomas, glad to have you here. Uh, very, very happy to be with you, Greg, and uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, magnificent ideas coming through us today. I'm hopeful of that as well. So let's let's dive straight into it and pick off pick up where we left off, which uh, we were talking about your experiences uh, with the Czech women's national team and. One of the key items that I, we, we didn't get to and I wanted to make sure we got to last time uh, was around the qualifier to even get into the Olympics uh, where you guys talked about, you know, what if we don't win? What if we don't make this happen? Which is a very scary thought uh, to many players, coaches, and management. Yeah, so I knew that it, it's a monumental tournament for, for the Czech women's hockey. I knew that the future of the women's hockey really rests on whether we're going to qualify or not. And uh, we knew if we would qualify, the support would be there, the financial support. Also, it would uh, bring the women's hockey to a foreground that people in Czech Republic would know about women's hockey, which was not the case before. So um, the importance was tremendous. And I knew that, uh, we will have to do something to take away the pressure uh, from uh, from the girls because we were playing at home. We were favorites, clear favorites. And um, there was no, like failure was not really an option. Uh, so I remembered, you know, how important it is to have the history and experience and and have things like that happen before. I remember in 2002, Team Canada men's team, Pat Quinn, said in a very first meeting when they went to the Olympics, because in 98, they didn't win. They were fourth. So the pressure was in Salt Lake City. Canada has to win the gold medal. And the expectations and the pressure was there. Wayne Gretzky was, I think, the the general manager. And Mario Lemieux was the captain. And I remember Pat Quinn saying, the very first meeting, we put it on the table listen, there's going to be a lot of pressure here. Canada expects you to win. It is possible that we are not going to win. And how are we going to deal with that? So I remember that. I remember Pat Quinn, which is now, I don't know how many years, 20 years ago. So I, I did this basically the same thing. And I did an exercise with the girls. I said, you know, each one of you, please write down what will happen in your life if we don't win. What is it going to mean to you if we don't win? And be specific. Don't just say, well, you know, well, life will go on and that's it. 
no, like be specific. What is going to mean for your family? What is going to mean for you? What is it going to mean for Czech hockey, the, the public opinion, and so on and so on. And we did it as a coaching staff. We went for a walk and we were talking about, okay, well, like I said, after this, if we don't qualify, this is it for me. Like they're not going to hire me again. It's the biggest disappointment. We have the team to win and I wouldn't um, take the team to the Olympics. So I think I'm going to be fired. Well, I guess I will still live in Czech Republic. I might look for another job. So I was very specific. And the interesting part was, and the most important part is the girls were sharing the specifics of what if we don't win, we realize we will be fine. Nothing is going to change in our lives. You know, the important relationships will still be here. Uh, the clubs that we are playing will still, you know, will still play, have our own career there, we'll still go to school. Uh, I thought, well, I'm going to do something in skills or maybe I'll accept another job. But, you know, my son will still love me the way he does right now. Um, so it took so much pressure away and we felt it completely after the exercise it was like yeah just another tournament but it was not just a word or it was not just a sentence oh yeah just another tournament it was we truly felt it i i felt the whole coaching staff and the girls have decompressed i was like yeah let's just play the tournament and i i still think it's the best performance i've ever experienced in 30 years of my coaching career it's wow that was a fascinating story um thank you for sharing that that's fantastic so best performance ever and probably a large part to facing reality and i find and i'm I'd be curious to see if you found the, the same thing but the players that do the best and grow the most are ones that face reality and deal with that rather than kind of putting their head in the sand a little bit and maybe ignoring reality in some shape or form. Uh, has that been true for you as well? Yeah. Uh, as, as coaches and as players, and for me personally, uh, it has been true for me. Everything that I have looked at, at myself and accepted, and I think people misunderstand the word accepting. Accepting does not mean that I am giving up. Accepting means that I'm honestly looking at my shortcomings and accept them. Say, yeah, this is who I am. I am uh, not reliable as I wish I would be. I am not as detailed as I wish I would be. I'm not as consistent as I wish I would be. That's the reality right now. And I have to accept it. If I don't accept it, if I deny it, then I cannot really truly look at the problem. So acceptance does not mean I don't want to change it. In the, the opposite is the truth. Acceptance is the first step of change. I have to be able to admit this is where we are. This is our state of affairs as of today. This is who I am. And that's what you said. In that moment, when I truly accept it, now I can change it or I can look for change. I can look for solutions. I can look for help. If I don't admit it, then I don't have the problem. So nothing, nothing will change. <laughs> so yes, 
hundred percent, one thousand percent in in all cases. And very very often people say they see it as a weakness to look honestly at myself. They they feel like they are not going to be accepted. They are going to be rejected. They are going to be look look upon as somebody less valid uh, in a team or in a coaching staff. And so they put on a face like they know it all or they, they've done it all. And it's actually uh, hinders them in any kind of growth. Yeah, that acceptance and then embracing what's in front, I, I think is just absolutely vital because um, yeah i've just seen a lot of people not do that and all the issues that come out from it and i'm trying yeah. to look it up right now but uh scotty scheffler he won the masters tournament this year and he actually wrote on a postcard um what it would mean to win or lose it was uh fantastic and it's right down this uh train of thought here so he wrote to himself if i win this golf tournament it will change my life on it will change my life on the golf course, but it won't change my personal life at home. And he really underlines, highlights life. Winning the golf tournament isn't going to satisfy uh, my soul or my heart. I know that going in, I know that going in. So I am able to play freely knowing that the rest isn't up to me. I'm just doing my best, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. He wrote that before winning the, biggest golf tournament the biggest round and playing the biggest round of his life that yeah it would change my life on a golf course but it's not going to satisfy his heart and soul gave me goosebumps and i love the fact that the rest is not up to me and that's something we also discussed with the girls we said you know like if the hungarian goalie stands on her head and she has the game of her life we are just not going to score on her what are we going to do nothing we're just going to lose the game that's the bottom line so that also like, or refereeing or whatever circumstances, like there's way, way more that we don't have under control than the things that we have under control. So that also takes away the pressure. I love that where, what he says, you know, it's not up to me. It is really is, is not. I can only do the absolute best uh, to prepare myself. And after that, it is up to whatever you believe in, whether it's God or uh, Buddha or Jesus or the universe or whatever it is, it's, it's, uh, or the hockey gods or the golf gods. I like what you just said was about around preparation. And I feel like that's the ultimate confidence giver. Like it also obviously feels good to score a goal or as a coach, like see your practice go well, but that's the result. And the confidence makes be more so from the process of the preparation, knowing I did the best that I possibly could. Yes. And, and I'm assuming and that also that also comes the, you know, in, in my life, uh, once I started to uh, accept my shortcomings and truly look at them, what actually happened is I started to prepare more. I started to study more. I started to be more open. I started to ask more questions like today, not too many days go by where um i'm looking at video every single day i'm studying video i'm studying the nhl studying our players um and i don't have the answer like i'm like in this situation i don't know so i i'm, I'm gonna text someone i trust or i'm gonna ask hey what would you do in this situation what do you think here so it actually opened me up to curiosity because i i realized hey 
the skating is not being taught the way I taught it 10 years ago, 15 years ago. If I would be still today trying to teach skating like I did 15 years ago, yeah, well, that would not work. That and so, and I have to be able to look at it. Like I don't teach linear crossover. I don't teach many of those skating details and nuances. They have evolved and I, I, I have to understand it. I have to be able to spot it, but I also am 54 years old. And so I'm probably not going to demonstrate it. <laughs> That's what players are there for, right? Exactly. 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 Awesome. So through this process, it was, it was pretty involved on uh, the changes you were trying to make and the importance of needing alignment through the organization and through your staff. I'm curious about how you went about choosing your staff and then also developing that staff. So there was alignment and understanding. It obviously takes a lot of communication, but maybe you have some examples and just your overall thought process behind that. Well, it was uh, a very unusual situation because I was in Canada and uh, I had to choose my coaching staff uh, very much uh, to uh, like a, on a certain date and it had to be by June, June 1st and I was still in Canada. So, and I didn't know very many people, so I relied on friends and recommendations and on feedback from players and feedback from other coaches. So it was a very much of a hidden miss uh, and very uncomfortable situation. So I did choose one assistant coach um, and I, I really didn't know him. I just heard a lot of good things uh, about him. And then um, about half of the coaching staff we have kept from the previous coaching staff and about half of the coaching staff, uh, we, I brought new people in, which I have not known intimately. So it was from the very start, it was a very, very difficult situation because the uh, old part, the old half of the coaching staff was still connected very much with the old head coach and assistant coaches and from the way the things were done in the past. Uh, the new coaching staff was very much on the new alignment, new idea, new philosophy, what it means to play for Czech Republic. We have never established that. So that was the first time we were trying to explain this is what it means to play for your country. Um, you represent every single girl, every single grandma, every single mom, sister, every woman that lives in this country, you represent when you put on the jersey. Um, and so this is what it means. Um, and there's certain responsibilities, how you behave when you come to the rink, how you play on the ice. We want it to be recognizable on the ice within a few minutes, we wanted to have a clear identity of who we are and that would represent the Czech values, which was always a, a team play, smart passing game that was always based on puck movement and, and offensive support and alignment of five people thinking to get a game. That was our strength. We were never, uh, other than exceptions like Hasek Jager and some players, we were never... Uh, rich on individual talent, but we were always rich on uh, game thinking talent and we could always play better than any other country with five people together. So we, I wanted to bring those old values in and base, base them on a new 
way of how the game is played, you know, mainly in the offensive zone, possession and quick transitions, quick counters and smart exits. So all that uh, was quite easy to explain to the girls, to to the ladies, to the players, because there was a lot of video, a lot of explanation, and most of them spoke English. So I was explaining in Czech and I was explaining in English because I found the English language very much simpler um, in hockey specific terms. Uh, so I was able to do both. Now the coaching staff was present at most of those meetings. So I was hoping and believing that uh, they would, you know, get as much out of it as, 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 as the girls. Now uh, the, mentality uh, in in Czech Republic is very different than in North America in terms of um, we had 50 years of communism and Nazism, which is a very fear-based systems where really you you struggle for survival and you are afraid of your life. So the, the main attitude still in Czech Republic that is here today is mistrust. So they don't trust new people. They are not as open as, as, as other countries to new ideas because for 50 years, uh, those new ideas were very, very uh, dangerous and they were surviving or fighting for their lives. So openness and willingness to, to go that new way is, it was almost, I have to say, almost impossible. It, it took me two years and I still didn't, I, I don't think I felt like I have gotten it through to people that it's possible to play like this, to behave like that, to, to have honor uh, and to have a philosophy that we can all believe in. Uh, it, it was something that I've never done anything so hard and that it was so in a way at the end of the day, exhausting. And uh, because I felt like, people would have tough time believing in it. Wow. Um, and that takes a lot of courage to do, but also I feel like you need a certain type of presence that you need to bring. And I'm assuming that you've been very specific on developing your presence to, to give that trust um, or bring across trust and really capturing the audience. Cause Clearly, you needed to get them out of that old mentality into something maybe a little bit newer that would allow them to grow much better. I'm curious about, um, especially the word presence. So, uh, of course, um, presence is something that some people have, some people don't. I don't know how you consciously develop it. I have not. Uh, been consciously working on, on on my presence. All I know that I have been a lifelong student, uh, whether it was in hockey or in um, uh, s- spiritual terms, uh, learning about life and how life works and what, what the meaning of life is and what, what my meaning for this lifetime is and uh, how I how I fit in the in the Czech um, context where I was a little boy our 15 year old 15 year old guy who left here and then came back and had a tremendous love for the country 
and and tr tremendous love for the, for the women's women's game as well. Uh, my idea was, or my hope or dream was to bring all my experiences, all I have within me, and give it back to the girls. Um, but the girls were not more important than the country. And the national team was more important than the women. And I don't know if that arrived well in, the, in today's society because we place so much value on the individual is so important. And I still come back, I still come from those old values where the team and the country is more than the individual. Um, so I think there was a little bit of a maybe disconnect um, where I wanted to have the team and the, the country and the flag as, as the most important thing. And we all do whatever it takes to contribute and to represent that and forgetting ourselves in the process and forgetting our egos and parking our egos at home and feel the honor to represent the country and nothing else. And whether it's I'm playing on a first line, second line, third line, fourth line, it does not matter if I'm in the stands. Okay, well, how can I contribute? Um, and I don't think that I have succeeded in it. With some uh, ladies, yes. Uh, and with some, I did not. And it, at the end of the day, I feel it cost us at the Olympics because the way we played, we needed, we needed 22 players to be completely on the same page, including coaching staff. And I felt that for many, there was more important, Olympics were more important than how we do in the Olympics. And uh, to score a goal was more important than how we do as, as a team. And so that I have not been able to succeed. I felt I was alone in that. Uh, and, and not to be unfair to many girls, because many girls had the same idea, and that's the way they played. And some girls did not. And so I feel that this is a time of major, major um, selfishness that we go through right now and in, in where everybody's it's about me it's about me it's about me it's about me and so the idea no no it's actually not about you it's about our country it's about our uh, about women in the in the in your country uh that's what it's about and you actually have the honor to represent them uh, that is a little bit missed and that's where um I don't, I don't think I have succeeded. I, I love your intellectual honesty uh, with yourself and, and how you go back through all of that. Um, and I want to tap into some of this expertise as you've, you've been clearly reflecting um, on your experiences. And, you know, say we have a listener here who's looking to put in some change into their team, their organization, whatever it may be. You obviously have immense experience with trying to enact that, you know, what would you change first? What would you allow to change naturally over time? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is I have to be completely myself, including my vulnerabilities. 
So if I want to project some belief and I want to transmit belief, it has to come from an absolutely honest place within my heart. And within my heart, there's a lot of insecurities. I don't know it all. I have shortcomings. And I have very, and, and, and at the same time, I have very, very strong parts of myself that I can contribute to this team. But the message has to be honest. It cannot be some surface uh, message that we all use on Instagram or, or Twitter. It has to be um, deep from your heart and people will feel the difference. And people feel whether you are coming truly from depths of your soul or you're just coming and you're projecting some kind of a confidence that is artificial and you are hiding things. So that is the number one. And speaking about presence, people will completely feel that. Um, and they will accept your mistakes and they will accept your shortcomings because they will know this, this guy is honest. And until today, you know, just having relationships with, with some of the um, players from the team, you know, I, I made quite a few mistakes under pressure. Uh, and, but I also know it's forgiven because they always knew what they got. They, they, they got Thomas Pacina 100% with all his strengths, but also with all his weaknesses. And I think that is important. So when you start with an organization, you got to put it on all, all the, uh, everything on the table. Um, you know, it's a beautiful saying of a very successful German coach, hockey coach, Hans Zach, who actually I just spoke, spoke with Brendan Shanahan, who, who played for him in a lockout. But that's beside the point. And he told me, uh, this is 30 years ago, he told me, Thomas, you will be fired no matter what. But when you are yourself, you at least will know why they fired you. Most people don't even know why they are fired because they are trying to please everybody and to, to put out fires here, put out fires here. So again, if we go back, you got to be yourself completely, unafraid, and then you have to have a clear mission in mind, clear idea, clear vision of the philosophy of the identity of the team of the organization. And then automatically by setting the tone of the philosophy and the identity. And, and those th there's clear points. Like this is who we want to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually. This is who we want to be on the ice. This is how we want to practice. It's, it's not difficult. Those are five, six points. That philosophy will automatically start eliminating people because there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to be aligned. And you will have to have the courage to let go of those people. And also, at the same time, it will attract brand new people that you will have to have the courage to hire and to take on the team. They may not have those skills yet, but they will attract it to that ball of energy that you just have created with your vision, with your identity, with your clear idea who you want to be as an organization. So, that, and then you will have to have the patience and wisdom to wait until certain people will fall off and until new people will be attracted. Wonderful. Wonderful. Setting the table for everything that's going to come. hundred uh, percent. And once you have it, Greg, 
it's it's not easy but it's simple to follow it is this well listen like is this part of our philosophy no it's not so what are we doing is this what it means to represent our country no it's not so what are we doing oh, yes this is a practice that is worth czech nationality Right. If there's somebody on a national team that is there because I don't know um, for other reasons than performance and character, some other reasons, then th- that is not to me. That's not Czech nationality. And so, so the things that are not supposed to be in that philosophy that you set as the leader will automatically pop up. They will. They are not going to be hidden. Everything that doesn't belong will come up. And then you need your strength and you need support in your, uh, in your uh, staff. And that's another thing I like to <laughs> uh, recommend is you got to have someone with you that you trust with your life and with your wife, as, as the, as the uh, Navy SEALs say, you know, w- w- would I trust you with my life and with my wife? Uh, you gotta have somebody who will cover you no matter what. If you don't have that, uh, your energy will deplete, and at the end of the day, you're not gonna succeed. Awesome! Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Uh, I want to want to take a left hand turn ever so slightly and, and get into the technical side of the game a little bit here. Um, you guys are talking about quick transitions, uh, playing with a lot of pace, but also with possession which I think for a lot of people can be two completely separate things um, and contradict each other in in many ways. So I'm curious on how you approached making those mesh together. Yeah. So very good question. Uh, What does it mean? And I think if we would have 20 coaches here, probably 20 different opinions of what it means pace. So for, for me and for us, what pace meant, the game had to feel very fast for our opponent. Not for us, but for our opponent. So that, that's quite, quite different. So, and I remember, again, like I always go back. I, I love going back into the history. I remember talking with Rick, Rick Tockett, who played in the Canada Cup 1987 against the Russians probably the most famous three games and probably the best hockey, I will say today, still the best hockey that has ever been played, 1987 Canada Cup, the final three games. And he said, Thomas, like the gaps that the Russians were creating were so huge, we always felt under pressure. that It felt so fast for us. And well, how, how were they creating the gaps? Well, the, the gaps you don't create by going south-north, like, Going always north, it's actually quite easy to defend, even when you go fast, even if you move the puck fast, because you can angle the person off and they are going straight ahead and they are going usually with the same speed. And it's quite easy to defensively adjust. Now, what is hard to defend is when there is a multi-directional play and the Russians used to go lots south, not just east-west, which of course they did, but they also went south with the puck. So they, they were coming back towards their own net. And on the, on the weak side, there was somebody going north. So now you get multi-directional play. And every time somebody gets the puck, which we call today improving the conditions of the puck, but 
That's just a phrase that has been, of course, around for as long as the game is alive. Uh, and the Russians were really, really good at going south and then north and then east and then west. So every time the puck changed uh, positions or lanes, the new player had a lot of gap, which is stress on the defensive players. So to me, playing with pace does not mean going fast north, but with one, with one very important uh, exception is on counters. So when the puck gets dumped out, out of the offensive zone, we want to get back as fast as possible on any neutral zone takeaways. We want to go up north as fast as possible and catch them while they are in their minds still playing offense. We want to catch them. Or on exit kills, of course, you have an exit kill and you move it to the weak side. That's your biggest scoring chances. So we were quick strike team on our transition defense to offense. But once we had the puck and... Uh, the defensive team was aligned in their defensive structure, whether it was one, two, 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 one, two, not one, three, one. It didn't matter. We were a team that would hold on to it, but would create constant two on ones and would go north and south and back south and maybe east west to create gaps and to surprise them on the weak side. So our players would have lots of space and lots of room to skate into. Um, and that, to me, is playing with the pace and puck position at the same time. Because when you're defending somebody, you're angling them off, suddenly she does a cutback and goes back uh, to the second wave. Now I have a bad gap. Somebody else has to take over. Now he goes to the weak side. So now I did something defensively, but the puck is all the way on the other side of the rink. I have to catch up. So we wanted to, the defensive team or the opponents always to play a little bit of a catch-up. And that, to me personally, means with pace, playing with pace. It has to feel fast for the opponent. Not so much for us. We are in control. I love that. That's the best definition of pace I've ever heard. The game okay, feeling well, fast for the opponent. That is, that is a... That is a unit of goal that we can all take away from today. It's not about skating fast, going straight up, up the ice, especially without a change of pace. Like that's, yes, if every youth player, if we could just sink that into their brains as soon as possible, uh, hockey would be a lot more fun to watch and coach. Yeah, my, that was one of our philosophy. We wanted, um, first of all, that we enjoy the game as much as possible and one thing we accomplished is that when the girls went back to the home clubs, they were like, we missed the way we play at the national team. So mission accomplished, you know, really, truly mission accomplished because I wanted for them to feel what it's like to possess the puck with five people thinking together and the opponent never touching the puck or touching it for a very minute time and we get it back and re-attack and we change on the fly and we change with possession. Um, I think we were very good at that and we succeeded at, wow, game, the game can be so much fun. That's awesome. I'm curious, um, within the games, your thought process on learning through games, because obviously learning through practice and learning through games are very different, but just the thought process and your thoughts around learning through the actual games being played, uh, not so much like games in practice, but games themselves. 
Um, so the question is uh, learning, learning through the actual game when we play an, an opponent. Yes. Yes. Well, I think one of the most important parts, actually, uh, because you you have to feel it under the rest. You have to feel it under pressure. You have to feel it when the opponent is actually trying to, I don't want to say hurt you, but trying to be hard on you and try to get away, to take the puck away from you and are changing tactics constantly. First period, this forecheck, second period, this forecheck. And now you have to read and react because in practice, no matter how hard you practice, your teammates are not going to present that kind of a, uh, environment that is so hostile as, as it's in a regular game. So I like to give short, very short one word or two word uh, feedback on the bench. Um, I like to reinforce when we do something well, like when we see something really good on positive on the ice, I'm like, girls, are we seeing it? Do you see that? Great delay, great delays, great second wave, or, you know, what a way to get the puck in the zone or what a way to keep it in the zone. What a great change. So I like to a little bit of a positive commenting, like a narrator. I like that. I like just the short feedback when the girls come from, from the ice of something very positive. Um, and uh, sort of a general, if there's something negative going on, I'm being a little bit more general for a long, long time until I repeat it and repeat it and we don't listen to the coach and I, I'm a little bit more aggressive. And we uh, sometimes you, you hear that uh, uh, F word from, from my mouth and uh, hey, we, we get off fix that or you know like let's let's be on the dot line or let's let's have f3 or whatever it is we had a long time issue to support on the near post so when the puck was dumped into our zone and our first demon went to pick it up in the corner our second demon automatically went wide to the other dot line we didn't want that we wanted to support on the near post so the pass is shorter quicker and we have more option to come out also, it's harder on the forecheck on F2. They don't know where, where to go, really. Uh, they have to choose to pick a route. Um, and if we lost the puck in the, def uh, in, uh, in the corner, we were already in our D-zone structure. And our demon, it took them long months and months for them to be automatic. When the puck is in the corner, I'm going near post. So I remember a couple of times I was not very positive even in the dressing room and I was showing a video and um, but I apologized to the girl after that it uh, it happens every once in a while uh, yeah. I'm really curious to hear about your your, your uh, communication on the bench where you're narrating the game is that something you do very purposeful or is that something that came natural you know again uh, one of my teachers was Dave King and uh, Dave King was always saying how he would give feedback to the players beneath them, but yet at the same time, he learned to watch the game. Because if he would have eye contact, and I would have eye contact only if it was really serious, but it was really something positive where I thought was a game changer, like somebody would block a shot or do a tremendous back check and get the puck, or there would be a huge amount of sacrifice involved in the play. I would grab that player, look her in the eye, said, this is how we play the game. This is what it means to be a national team player. I would use that moment to, to reinforce 
our message. And or if it would be something that and it happened at the world championships against Denmark where like they scored, you know, it was four one game and two girls that were on the ice for a minute and 20 and, you know, tried to score, you know, go on two on one instead of changing 30 seconds ago or 40 seconds ago. And, and Denmark takes the puck and they score. It's four two. the game is over, but it just sends such a bad message to the whole team because it's exactly the opposite of, of who we want to be. Uh, so I had to be, it was in the dressing room, but I was quite, I made a deal, big deal out of that because it was so out of the ordinary. But going back to your question, um, so I like to narrate it, but not all the time. I, I pick most of the time the positive things that I see. And it sort of keeps me calm as well. And also I like to speak with my assistant coaches on purpose loud. So like, did you see that good pass or did you see how she backcheck hard through the middle? So that he gets it, but also the girls hear us. So they always hear that sort of a positive, um, positive reinforcement. Now, not always it was positive and still have way to, ways, ways to go. But I don't think it needs to be always positive, to be honest with you. Like I'm not a, a fan of if, if the new wave that everything is positive and everybody's great and everybody's this, it's not true. It's just not true. So why are we teaching something that is not true? Let's be real. And when people know that they are real, they will trust you because they know don't, themselves that they are not always good. I'm not always good. Like I have so many weaknesses. I've, I've made so many mistakes when I think about Olympics, how many mistakes I've made. Yet the players know it. And so they know themselves, they know, hey, shit, I'm sorry. Uh, they, I make so many mistakes as well. So, you know, Pacina is real. He's not great all the time. He makes a lot of mistakes and I wish maybe he would be different here and here, but at least he's real. So I, you know, when I speak to young coaches, I'm like, be yourself, be real and be curious and don't hide your weaknesses because players will spot them anyways. If you hide them, it will make it, they will make it very uncomfortable for you. They will actually subconsciously seek out situations that they will expose your weaknesses. So if you put them out there right away and say, hey, guys, I missed that change. I, sometimes I miss face-off alignment or I send some, a different center for a face-off. Let's say it's, I don't know, 20 seconds left I need and or I should send out two centers. I miss it. I said, girls, that's on me. You know, that's on me. I should have had two centers out there or whatever it is. Um, and it's, we are way better off than trying to pretend something that we are not. Uh, that's fantastic. I also like how you're talking to your coaches. Uh, there's an American football coach, Bill Walsh, who used to be yeah. the uh, 49ers head coach. And one of yeah. his philosophies was he, he wouldn't yell at players. He would actually yell at his assistant coaches, like get your players doing the right thing. And that was his way of like trying not to put the pressure uh, or the negativity and try to build like some camaraderie with the players, with their position coach, which I thought was yeah. a fascinating way of going about that. Like, I don't, don't want my coach to get yelled at. I'm going to do better rather than 
like, I'm going to do better as my head coach. I thought it was just fascinating on how he was very purposeful and how he went about that. So it's kind of funny. Obviously, you're, you're, you may be a little more positive than he was on it, but it's still kind of that general theme, and that's that's really cool. So I would not do it purposefully, but but I would do it intuitively. We would I would have a quite a bit of conversation with both of my coaches. I had one coach in the middle who would take notes. I would say, hey, please write down F1 or F2 has to be quicker or uh, we got to carry the puck through the middle. We need more middle. Or I would say, hey, Finns are playing 1-3-1 one, one, or control breakout. And he would make notes. So that was one conversation. And then, of course, with the D coach, and that was like more like the Bill Walsh. It's like, hey, great job, guys, moving the puck. Or, hey, you're like, we got to support quicker. Like, she's by herself. And it was always targeted to the assistant coach. So it was not purposeful. I'm not such a purposeful coach, more intuitive, but they certainly did that. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so when it comes to practices, you know, that's that's the real time that coaches shine, right? We've, we've set the stage. We've set the table, as they say. And now, you know, our, our time is really practices and activities. You know, how do you like to structure practices, the activities within them, and how the, the practice may progress, whether it be through a session or through a season? Well, so one thing that I have learned um, is that every single drill, every single moment on the ice has to be purposeful, and it has to be part of our playing philosophy. Uh, so I don't like wasting any time or wasting any drills. Uh, so if there's a shooting drill, we used all our shooting drills for our entries. Uh, and out of the entries, we had a shot and maybe there was a second puck for our offensive zone play. But we thought our F2 on the entries uh, was so important. And in the old game, the F2 was sort of like a trailer she would not skate very fast. She would be far away from the courier. It was sort of a middle drive to the net, but not very with any purpose. So the attack was very flat and very predictable and back check would take care of it. And it was like three one-on-ones. So no danger. So our number one thing was uh, the second player has to create two-on-one uh, around the puck. Uh, so it has to isolate the defenseman and has to either support in front of the defenseman or behind the heels of the defenseman. So we can pass underneath the stick, behind the heels. And it's not really a middle drive. It's a dot drive if the puck is on the boards. And her goal is not really to go to the net, but to support the puck so we can make one more play. And I'm using that one more play because Daryl Belfry uses it beautifully uh, in certain situations like, uh, yes, we want to score, but we don't want the play to end. So you would see us every single drill. The first shooting drill uh, was always some kind of an entry, and it would usually be those two players creating some kind of a combination, two-on-one, where the second player, and took us, again, months and months, the second player has to sprint and has to drive deep and create the depth so it's not the puck carrier who creates the depth, but it's the player without the puck that creates the depth. So you would see it in all our shooting drills, and that would take care of our entries and possibly also, like I said, about our offensive zone play. Now, the first 15 minutes of the practice were always goalies were with the goalie coach, and I had the whole team. So it was our philosophy. So puck possession, so we had always keepaways, puck protection situations. We also went to... Uh, retrievals 
our girls had really tough time uh, beating the F1 by themselves. So in the past, when they were under pressure, they just moved the puck and the problem and the pressure to their teammates. Uh, so that was, I, I knew that if we want to play puck position style, we need to take care of that. So after we pick up the puck, we don't pass it. We just take care of F1 ourselves. So deception, scanning, shoulder checking, the toe turning, um, that was, I had to teach them the skills and the individual tactics to beat F1. So that was the first part of the practice and could have been two on two, three on three, three on no, three on one in one zone. Uh, but we took care of the retrievals and we took care of the uh, exits and we took also care of the puck position style. So we would have three girls versus four girls. The three girls have the puck and they have to keep it versus the four defending girls. So we were teaching the girls shorthanded how to keep the puck, which is much, much harder than when it's even strength or when you have power play. So immediately they had to find open space. They had to use uh, deception. They had to use cutbacks, turnbacks. Um, and then again, it popped out. What was our issue was standing still and stick handling. And so we had to teach them crossovers, teach them to lean into the turns, uh, teach them no dusting um, and all that stuff. So once you have a philosophy, uh, again, to the point that you asked me before, once you have a philosophy, not only organizationally, but also on the ice, it takes care of everything else because the things, the weaknesses that don't belong will pop out. So our skills, the efficiencies, I didn't have, have to do any kind of a, um, analysis on it. it automatically popped out. We couldn't play three on three with any kind of possession uh, for longer than two seconds. The other team had the puck. Now the other team had the puck. Now the other team had the puck because we had no puck position skills. We had no pre-touch skills. We had no scanning. We had no uh, communication. We had no support, close support. We had no pop-outs. Um, but that has changed quite a bit because, like I said, first 15 minute bang, we take care of that. Now, shooting drill, we took care of our uh, entries and offensive zone. And then we went to a theme could have been, you know, the theme would be either offensive zone or it could be uh, counters, and then the whole practice would be two or three drills that would just be for the offensive zone. Like we wanted to really work on the movement so the defensemen learn how to dive, how to dive on the weak side, strong side. We want them to move across the blue line, crisscross. Um, so we've either figured out games that we, we played or we had certain drills that were always to that theme and we would stick with the theme for the whole practice and sometimes even for the whole day so the morning uh, we would let's say practice the skills for the offensive zone and the uh, uh, in the afternoon we would practice the team structure for the offensive zone um, and then let's say the next day would be exit kills everything would be around exit kills um, usually it started with a simple drill and then the drill would continue into something more sophisticated and we would usually end with the game that would also promote exit skills and transition into offense no waste i don't like wasting time on any drill that has no doesn't have anything to do with the philosophy clear philosophy waste of time i think that's an important lesson for all the listeners to take away is 
you were doing it purposefully, but it's not purposely for this and that. It's purposely to go into the game model or the skills that transfer for all levels of play, like scanning is a prime example. Looking around before, during, and after all of our puck touches. Super, super important to make sure that we're giving the players the skills for the gameplay of how we're actually asking them to play. Um, love that. And then, you know, you practice, it, you practice it on retrievals, but it will show up in your offensive zone uh, because you have to do the same skill in the offensive zone. So there is a, so much transfer. Uh, one, but to me, I've never coached as purposefully and as um, detailed and what the difference was, I had a clear vision how we want to play, like really clear every zone, defensively and offensively. And it makes it very easy then to design drills. I would never borrow any drill from anybody else because they would not fit our philosophy. So we had to come up with our own drills. And, uh, but they were great drills because it totally fit. And you saw the drills in the game. You spoke about the game. We would have certain drills for offensive zone. It would be clearly right in the game that night against, I don't know, Denmark, whatever, Sweden because they were designed as, as the game would be. So there was a clear transfer to that. Awesome. So last question I have uh, for today, we'll, we'll just keep having you on as a reoccurring guest. We'll just put you on every <laughs> six months. Uh, is around the difference between coaching professionals versus coaching youth? Because there's a dramatic difference between the two. And and it really grinds my gears when people start taking things from the professional game and there are good components that you can take, but like basically copying what's done in the professional game and like, Oh, this is what we're going to do for youth. Yeah. It's like coaching a different sport. It's, it's so delicious. It is. It's truly. And the context, the context is so important. So, I'm not going to put example of youth because it has been a very long time since I've truly coached youth, but coaching women is very much comparable how, because they do not make large amounts of money. Um, that is one aspect. The, the, other aspect, the other aspect of youth is that there is a long-term development plan should be in place. And the other aspect is most of those players that you're coaching are never going to play professional. Like, it's just not going to happen. Even at the, like, working 11 years with Mike Johnson uh, in Portland Winterhawks, like, most of those players <laughs> will never play professional hockey, uh, at least not at the NHL level. There's some of them will play in Europe, some of them somewhere else. So, uh, so much emphasis has to be on uh, developing the human being as a whole, uh, developing their character and uh, learning how to learn, teaching them how to learn. So, and, and teaching them how that it's okay that I do have mistakes and that I have shortcomings to that, uh, teaching them vulnerability. Yes. You know, I, I have, I'm able to look at myself honestly. Um, how do I function within a team? What is my role? So important. Like when I compare um, being a, being a head coach or being a general manager or now in Toronto being a development coach or well, completely, completely different roles. 
So what is my role? How can I exceed in this role? And uh, it's not less. It doesn't mean that I'm playing on a fourth line that it's less important. It's, it is as important. And I can take as much pride in that. Um, but I need some guidance here. Okay, so how can I contribute? How can I contribute off the ice, on the ice? How can I improve? What is my long-term goal? All these skills are so important for life um, and not just, not just for hockey. So all these things that I, if I have the right coach, right environment, right managers, all these skills that I'm learning are extremely transferable, not only into business life, school life, but also private life. How important that would be in a relationship to my wife that I can say, you know, honey, like you're, you're right. Like you, you know, I was, I did what I said was not correct. And what I said was, was wrong. And I, sorry about that. And, um, you know, next time I'll, uh, I'll speak with you about this earlier. I know you had some plans and I, um, I didn't, um, uh, I didn't consider your plans and I made other plans. Just the, the idea of surf reflection. If I can learn these skills in, in an environment when I'm growing up in hockey, then I'm ready for life. And what greater uh, avenue it could be that I'm ready for life than, than through hockey. All right. I have nothing to add. We'll, we'll end on that one because that is just a, such an important point of understanding. We're just getting people ready for the next stage and getting them ready for life in general. Absolutely fantastic. We could do a whole episode on that and, and the importance of sport. We could. And I, I might add that, again, the danger of the times that we live in is that when I'm only positive with the people coming up, and I, I don't mean being critical. I mean being, being, being real and being honest. I'm really preparing them for life. And I, some of my friends are university professors in Canada and in Czech Republic. And their feedback is the kids aren't ready for failure because they've been told for 10 years how wonderful they are and that they can do no wrong and that it's always the fault of the teacher, of the coach, somebody else's fault. That's That's the... I mean, this is the society we live in. It's always somebody else's fault. And they come to a point at the university where they actually have to write tests and they get a real mark. They're not ready for that. It is such a stress and it's such a shock for them. Wow, how can I, what a wonderful being I am. How can I write, you know? And so our job is to get people ready for real life and not for some kind of a life that we wish uh, they would have because it, it's not like that. Yes. Yes. I see that way more than I'd like to. And I know you have as well. And uh, anyone who's coached a little bit out there is completely uh, understanding of this. And I think it's very tough on parents to see their kids struggle and have some failure in their lives. Um, my, my two cents, I, I wrote an early hockey IQ newsletter on, why golf balls have dimples and the whole thing is it gets nicked up, nicked up. So that could be your failure and adversity you have in life, but golf balls do have dimples. They never, they started out as very flat objects and it's not good for a golf ball when they don't have this Nick. It actually flies better because of the dimples and it's similar to life. You're going to fly further and on a better path because of the adversity and failure you've faced in your life and the ability to embrace that 
and overcome it and being honest and all these things that uh, you've talked about and embrace that when things don't go your way or there's some failure. Okay. Why did it go bad? Why did it go poorly? What can we possibly do different and move forward and, and embrace and get ready for whatever is going to be next? Cause there's always going to be something standing in your way. And uh, there, there's no such thing as easy money, as they say, or there's no such thing as hundred percent easy life either. So we, we need to prepare for the realities of life, not what we, uh, you know, you, it's like taking a toy away from a kid. Like sometimes you just have to take it away. It's, it's going bad. I yes. need to yes. let them cry and pout and yeah. figure out how yeah. to. And actually the kid will be happier. You know, it will be a, a long term. The kids will be much happier if they are treated honestly. That's probably the the piece here is the people who want the positive, everything's great, are very short-term thinking. Meanwhile, the great thinkers out here, the people who really are stewarding these young people along, have a, a much longer-term vision. Um, and while winning is important, it's really not important. It's about winning in life, not so much winning in the game. Yes. And we don't have so much control about winning. Wally Kozak, one of the greatest minds who ever lived in hockey, my mentor, always says, you don't control outcomes. Why are you so angry? You don't control outcomes. It's hard to hear, but it's true. <laughs> you don't control outcomes. <laughs> if we would be able to control outcomes, you know, everybody would always win. We would have 32 Stanley Cup winners. We don't, come, we don't control outcomes. So if I know I don't control the outcome, then uh, my attitude is quite different. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for, uh, again, taking the time to come on. Uh, you're doing important, great work out there. I'm glad that you're able to share the insights that you've learned from that uh, with all of us. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you buttes here next week for a brand new episode.